pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 199. Today I'm going to chat with Chris Chang, aka Top Shot Chris, discuss another new anti-gun bill, highlight a new pistol from Rock Island, and talk about how the job market is ripe for robots. I'm your host, Ava Flanell, and Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Ava. Thanks for having me on your show. Of course. Thanks for fitting me in your schedule. I know you're really busy. No shortage of fun things and uh, controversy, which we'll get into later today. <laughs> I know. That's why I was actually surprised. Wow, I can schedule you this week. I don't have to be six months from now. What are you doing? <laughs> but before we get into all of that, I want to take a quick break real quick, talk about Smith & Wesson. Smith & Wesson, in my opinion, makes some of the best revolvers around. When I visited their factory a couple years back, you could definitely tell the craftsmanship, sophistication, all of that attention to detail in every step of building them really shows. And Chris, are you much of a revolver fan? I have, I think, what a latent interest in revolvers. And what I mean by that is I think later in life, I'm just going to become the biggest revolver aficionado. I'm going to start in my life with, you know, with a SIG P226. And, you know, I mean, love the gun. My second gun was actually a, a Ruger LCR, which is, you know, a snub yeah. nose revolver. But that's more for kind of practical reasons, less for a love of revolvers. But yeah. Seeing people like Jerry Michalik and like Taryn Butler and like um, incredible shooters handling revolvers in ways that I didn't even know you could shoot and handle revolvers, like so inspiring, so cool. So one of these days, I'll be getting more into revolvers and you bet your dollar that Smith & Wesson will populate my gun safe. Right. Yeah. So I was just looking at all of the guns that I own and you know what? I need to add a Smith & Wesson revolver to my collection. I was looking at the model 442. It's a cute little five shot, shoots 38 plus P. It's lightweight, uh, stainless steel barrel. And MSRP on this is only $551, which is it's pretty good for a nice quality revolver. But yeah, I'm actually, you know, when I first started off in the gun industry, yeah, I'm not a big revolver fan. They kind of remind me of the cowboy guns, regardless of the color and what they look like. But I don't know. I'm kind of starting to get a little bit more into other things that I don't have. If you guys want to check out their selection of revolvers, as well as any of their other pistols out there, rifles, they have all kinds of stuff, head on over to smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. All right, Chris, lots of listeners are familiar with who you are. For those who don't, though, what is it that you do in the gun industry? Yeah, so in my, uh, I think my, my main claim to fame is I'm History Channel's season four champion of Top Shot. And yeah, it was a, a, an amazingly fun firearms. Well, actually, it wasn't just a firearms competition. It was a weapons competition spanning everything from rifles, pistols, shotguns to grenade launchers 
crossbows, bows and arrows, throwing weapons. It, it just spanned the gamut. And my background is actually here in Silicon Valley, and, and I live in San Francisco. Uh, and I started my career at Google, and after winning Top Shot and $100,000 and a pro shooting contract with Bass Pro Shops, I decided to leave Google and, and leave Silicon Valley and became a professional shooter uh, for three and a half years before uh, I came back into Silicon Valley. And now I basically uh, manage two careers <laughs> concurrently. Um, but yeah, Top Shot is, is really where uh, it, was, it was just a huge inflection point in my life and my professional career. And what made you want to get into that? Because from my understanding, you didn't have any experience when you auditioned for Top Shot. Yeah, my experience was minimal. So on the one hand, my father, who was in the U.S. Navy, I mean, he was a P3 Orion navigator in Vietnam. So, you know, he didn't he didn't shoot for, you know, his job in the military, but it was his introduction to firearms. He's first generation Chinese American. And so when I was six years old, my father taught me how to shoot, but it was just the basics, you know, safety and, and safe handling. And so, you know, we would only go shooting maybe once every three to four years, you know, rent a lane for an hour to punch some holes in paper, and then the guns go back on the safe kind of thing. But when Top Shot came out, and it was, I think, around 2009, and I recently started at Google and had some disposable income, and I saw some amazing, you know, guns and civilians, you know, alongside military, law enforcement, Olympic shooters, right, all shooting these really great, cool weapons. Then I remember saying to myself, huh, okay, you know, I, I work at Google now, I have some disposable income. I kind of had always wanted to be a gun owner. And I said, okay, well, I think this is the time to purchase my first gun, which I mentioned earlier was a, a P226. SIGs are great, high quality guns. But you know, I, I must say it's really top shot, you know, seeing positive representations of gun owners on TV and also shooting weapons that I didn't know could be for civilians. So I didn't know at the time that civilians could own an AR-15. And I think it was season one of Top Shot where there was an AR-15 challenge. Right here, I am seeing civilians you know, compete with an AR-15. And I literally was asking myself in my head watching this episode, whoa, okay, here's some civilians like shooting an AR-15. Is this just a TV thing? Or can I, being a California resident and San Francisco resident on top of that, can I buy an AR-15? And the answer is yes. And so there's so many of those kind of moments for me when I was watching Top Shot, right? Just as a, you know, one of the millions of fans who watch the show every week, it got me way more interested. And you know, I started competing a little bit, you know, my local club, but by no means was I good. I wasn't getting any kind of awards or trophies or anything like that. But uh, that was sort of the nexus of how I got more into firearms. Wow. How did you get the opportunity in order to try out to even be on the show? Yeah, great question. So, you know, the auditions for Top Shot were open to anybody in the public. And so, you know, I just filled out an application online. I mean, I literally Google Top Shot auditions and, you know, there's a website, you fill out a Word doc and you submit a YouTube video of yourself, you know, talking and a little bit of, uh, you know, shooting on camera. And, you know, I remember at the time, when I started the audition process, I remember saying to myself, 
I am so far behind the curve in terms of my experience, my just general knowledge Mm -hmm. of weapons, of marksmanship. And so I realized if I get cast for season four of Top Shot that I need to start training like extremely hard right now. I needed to have started training almost you know, last year kind of thing. And I treated my training like a part-time job. And so on top of my 50 hours a week at Google that I was putting in, I was also putting in about 20 to 25 hours a week on firearms training and studying and learning the finer points of marksmanship. And, and I did that for five months. And I told all my friends and family, I'm like, hey, I've got to go, you know, fall off the grid here because I'm, I'm trying to get on this TV show. And if I end up getting cast, I need to bring my A game and all that sacrifice. You know, I put in the hard work and trained like I wanted to win. Right. And, and that's the goal is I wanted to win top shot and all that hard work and effort, you know, paid off in spades for me. Yeah, no kidding. That's a lot of work to put into something that you don't even know if you're going to be chosen to be on the show. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I, I, I'm the kind of person that I, I don't want to have any regrets and I want to leave it all on the table. And at the time I was asking myself, is 20 to 25 hours a week of studying and training about, you know, firearms and marksmanship, is that enough? I didn't even know, right? Is, is this enough? Like, do I maybe need to take some PTO or even like you know, take some unpaid time off to like train even harder and more seriously. And of course, like that's just a personal individual question, right? Anybody who's training for a marathon, any kind of competition, it's sort of like, well, you know, you want to push yourself to beyond where you're comfortable. And then you've even got to push yourself beyond that even more, right? Because, you know, our bodies are machines and there are physical limits that we, you know, physical mental and emotional limits that we all have to understand, okay, well, where are those limits for us as an individual? And then when and how can I push myself beyond those limits when I need to and perform at my peak and at my very best? Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm just going to call BS for a second. I'm guessing you read the book, The Secret. And if I put in the energy and positive feelings or not positive feelings, but positive vibes, that I'm going to eventually attract this position. I'm going to get it. (laughs) There's definitely an element of that. And growing up, you know, I played a lot of baseball and so much of winning in sports or really in life. It is envisioning. Yeah, right. You have to see yourself succeeding. And it's not just about your success at the end, right, of you holding up the trophy or whatever it is at the end is about seeing yourself go through the entire process. And what I mean by that is any big success often entails trials and tribulations of massive failure, of setbacks, of struggle. And so winning doesn't just, winning is rarely just a string of you're killing it, knocking it out of the park, you know, one step at a time. It's going on that roller coaster ride. And so mm-hmm. in my mind, in, you know, in baseball, for example, you know, from the middle of the game, it's like, okay, I'm going to try and envision myself if I'm playing second base and I get a ball in the, you know, and, and the bases are loaded, right? I need to do X, Y, and Z for my team. And oh, what happens if I fumble the ball? Well, if I fumble the ball and I'm trying to get the guy out at home, but I don't have enough time, 
right, to throw the guy out at home, maybe I need to throw to first base because I'm at second base and first base is my closest base, right? But it, but right, there's so many like iterations of what envisioning yourself being successful looks like and being prepared for all of those potential pitfalls, having contingency plans across the entire experience. And right, so it, it, while yes, feeling good and having the self-confidence about yourself and capabilities, that is definitely important, but right, it's clearly not just that, right? That gets people to succeed at whatever it is, uh, right? It's about, it's about the skills and it's about the sacrifice and putting in the time, mm-hmm. right? To learn that skill or right? to become a master of the craft, to become the best version of you doing that craft or that skill that you can be. So at the end of the day, you know, win, lose, or draw. Like if I didn't win top shot, I at least wanted to go out knowing, hey, I did the very best that I could have done. And I have no regrets, right? That I just don't ever want to look back on anything that I do in my life and say, I wish I would have done more or I wish I could have, you know, done it better. Yeah. And so that's 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 a mentality and an attitude that I I took with me when I was competing for Top Shot, but it's also a life philosophy and an attitude that I carry with me no matter what I'm involved in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. For those who don't know, you won season four of Top Shot, which congratulations. And then after that, you wrote the book called Shoot to Win. Tell us a little bit about that book. Yeah, you know, so after I won Top Shot, you know, I had a quick Google and I had no idea what I was really going to do in the firearms industry. I mean, I, I had a you know um, $100,000 in cash and this phenomenal pro shooting contract with Bass Pro Shops. But obviously, hey, right, at some point, right, the, the, the pie is going to run out. And so I needed to figure out, well, like, how am I going to make a career and a, and a living you know, in this industry? And I had a lot of people suggesting that I write a book. And Shoot to Win is a book for the beginning marksman, anyone who's looking to learn how to shoot pistol, rifle, or shotgun. And it's really about taking the perspective of someone who knows nothing about guns, because we all start from knowing nothing about firearms. And I think along the way, lose sight of that, especially as we're interfacing with new gun owners and we take certain things for granted, such as what does caliber mean, or even more basic, how do you load a semi-automatic pistol magazine, right? Which way do the rounds face? Mm -hmm. How do you manipulate the rounds, right? So they fit into the magazine. How do you make sure that the rounds are properly seated in the magazine? So all these sort of basic things that, right, you and I just do it with our eyes closed kind of thing. But I really wanted to pay it forward in my book, Shoot to Win, and help welcome that next, those next generations of shooters, of gun owners. And the way that I wrote Shoot to Win is explaining concepts in ways that are simple, in ways that are easy to understand and digest. So when a new shooter is at the range trying to you know, shoot straight, and shoot flat that when there's a problem that they have the diagnostic tools around how to figure out, well, why are my shots all going low into the left, right? Oh, is it my trigger finger placement? Is it my trigger speed, right? Am I jerking the trigger, et cetera, et cetera. And so shoot to win is a book both for new shooters 
but also for you know seasoned you know uh, shooters like you and me because you know one thing that I learned when I was you know shooting professionally full time on the free gun circuit, you know I'm shooting with you know Taryn Butler with Bob Bogle, Jerry Michalik, Keith Garcia, Daniel Horner. I mean all these you know the top top you know creme de la creme of shooters in the world. But one thing that we all always went back to is right if we had shooting you know if we had problems with our shooting we would always fall back on the fundamentals right and so even your top tier shooters in the world right will always fall back on the fundamentals of marksmanship as the sort of the starting point of diagnosing any kind of accuracy or other kind of marksmanship problems so yeah shoot to win is it was a a huge joy for me to write i basically took three months and I went to Lake Tahoe, which here in Northern California is you know, typically a ski resort area. And I got bottles of wine and bottles of bourbon and lots of steak and other just delicious <laughs> things. I snowboarded during the day. I would, you know, drink a little bourbon, go write a little bit of the book and rinse and repeat and did that for like three or four months. It was like, whoa, this is, this is uh, it was such a cool part of my life, but I'm, I'm very proud of shoot to win. It's in its second uh, edition with Katie Pavlich, uh, who's uh, editor of Town Hall, uh, having written the foreword. And it's, yeah, shoot to win. It's a great book. That's amazing. And if people want to purchase that book, is it still available? Yeah, absolutely. Amazon, Kindle, iTunes, you know, for, for iBooks and really anywhere books are sold. So yeah, Shoot to Win is available, you know, wherever books are sold, it's available in both soft cover and hard cover, as well as a digital edition. Okay, awesome. I'm going to take a quick break real quick, talk about SB Tactical. Chris, I'm sure you're familiar with SB Tactical and their braces. Yeah, I've seen uh, definitely seen uh, some of the products around. It's good stuff. If you've got a SIG MPX or the MCX, you need to check out the MPX PSB from SB Tactical. The MPX PSB, man, some of this stuff is just a mouthful, is a PDW style brace for the MPX and the MCX with three position adjustment and rock solid stability in any position. It adds 3.8 inches fully collapsed and 8.25 fully extended depending on the size of your arm. Contrary to the proposed rules of the ATF, The adjustability is important since not all of us have the same size arms. The complete kit goes for $199.99, but don't forget, you're going to use that code GUNFUNNY15, and that is going to get you 15% off, and that is at sb-tactical.com. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to enter a comma on the ATF's proposed rule on braces, which I'll go over this later off in the show. and. There's also, I'm going to be posting a social media, but we really need everyone to voice their opposition on this. It's extremely important as this is just the beginning of their attempts to erode the Second Amendment. Chris, speaking of the Second Amendment, you actually, you've gotten pretty political, done a lot of advocacy for the Second Amendment. You recently testified before the Senate on the dangers of gun control and how it can be used for discrimination. For anyone who didn't see it, can you give us some of the highlights Yeah, absolutely. You know, testifying in front of the United States Senate was a wonderful experience and one that was also unexpected. And it came up uh, on on very short notice, but I'm I'm very honored to have been able to speak out in defense of our Second Amendment rights. And so the theme and points of my testimony 
we're very much about the racist roots of gun control and how gun control has been used as a tool to discriminate against minority populations and how a lot of the gun control bills that are under consideration are just going to continue this form of discrimination and discriminating against law-abiding gun owners like you and me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of anti-gun politicians, I know they mean well and they think that gun control is somehow the thing that's just going to magically you know, reduce or make mass shootings go away, but that's just not how guns work. And so, you know, I wanted to I wanted to provide a different perspective and obviously a, a, a different voice in the Second Amendment debate on Capitol Hill. And so I brought some of my personal background, being both an Asian American and an LGBT American to the forefront. And so in the first part, you know, over the past year and a half, racist attacks against Asian Americans has, has unfortunately risen in this country. A lot of sort of anti-COVID sentiment somehow has empowered a number of criminals and made them think that they can just attack innocent Asian Americans and somehow blame us, you know, for COVID. And, you know, here in San Francisco, where I live, we've seen some incredibly vile and disgusting attacks. The worst have been against the elderly. And, you know, I mean, I think the bottom of the barrel in any society is people who prey on the elderly or on the young Mm -hmm. or Or, on animals. Yeah, or are on animals. Exactly. And so, you know, for these vicious attacks that have resulted in death and grave injury, it's really woken up a number of Asian Americans to the fact that you see all of these calls to defund the police. We've seen pretty unprecedented levels of rioting and civil unrest in our country over the past, not just the past year and a half, right? This is, you know, right, it's been a number of years, right, that we've seen all sorts of, you know, Black Lives Matter protests and and other kind of protests and civil unrest. And so if you put all these pieces together, right, so as an an Asian American, right, the sort of the, the, the final tipping point here being now we're seeing a 149% increase in racist attacks against Asian Americans. The police can't be there. There's more civil unrest. Well, logical conclusion for a lot of Asian Americans is I need to go purchase a firearm for my own personal protection, for defending my home and my family and my friends. And so that was another key part of my testimony was helping the Congress understand the context with which they're looking at these gun control laws under, because now if these gun control laws pass, it's going to now become more difficult for law-abiding citizens, not just Asian Americans, right? It's like one of the main themes of my testimony was what's worse than discriminatory racist gun control laws it's laws that affect every single American, right? This is obviously like gun control doesn't just impact Asian Americans or African Americans. It affects all of us. And so that is, that's the true threat. But right, to kind of double click back into the other component that I mentioned, which was, you know, for me being part of the LGBT community and as a gay American, you know, we've also seen, you know, continued increase in violence against the LGBT community. And I told the Congress, I said, look, the reality is 
I was there that particular day testifying about increased violence against Asian Americans, but it's Asians today and it's going to be someone else tomorrow, right? Whether it's the gay community or women or the Latino community or the black community, sort of like ultimately every single part of our community in America is going to be negatively impacted by these gun control measures. And so my testimony is this juxtaposition of, okay, right, here are two specific examples around how gun control is going to be bad for Asian Americans, bad for LGBT Americans, but it's also just going to reverberate and negatively impact every single American in our country. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. In uh, 2013, you came out saying that you were gay in hopes of breaking down stereotypes. How is that received in the firearms world? Yeah, you know, 2013 was interesting because it was the year after I won Top Shot. And at the time, I remember it dawning on me, it's like, wow, okay, I, I had worked in Silicon Valley at the time for five years. And, you know, I was out as gay, you know, all my colleagues, you know, people in Silicon Valley knew it just wasn't a big deal. But yeah. right here I am now coming into a brand new industry that I literally knew nobody in. And I was like, okay, you know, I was experiencing all of these like awkward moments that closeted gay people experience. And so to, to give you a little, you know, peppering of what that looks like, you know, I'd be at SHOT Show or the NRA annual meeting and some, you know, I'd be chatting with somebody and they'd be like, oh, Chris, like, you know, are you, are you know, oh, you're single. At the time I was single, like, oh, you're single. Like, I, I need to introduce you to my daughter. And you'd be a, a wonderful couple together. Uh, you know, you should at least date, you know, go out, go out for coffee or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, and here I am like, sorry, hey, like, I, I'm gay. Like, I'm sure your daughter is a wonderful person, you know, kind of thing. But right, having those kind of conversations as, as a gay person, it's exhausting, right? Yeah. It's sort of imagine if you're a straight person and somebody just assumes you're gay and then all of a sudden like, you know, Ava, like, let me introduce you, you know, to, you know, to, to, you know, my, my daughter, like, I'm not gay, like, I'm straight. It's sort of like, it's this record. And, and so I didn't, I don't even know if, if you are, uh, if you are straight, I'm sort of right. Assuming that is, is that a, is that a safe I assumption mean, or am I, I don't totally know. off the bar? You know, to be honest, it's debatable. My record with dating hasn't gone so well. So who knows? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, right. But to the point, right. It's like, someone who's gay, right, sort of having people assume that you're straight and sort of applying all of the, you know, kind of like heteronormative assumptions. I'm not offended. I'm not offended by any means at all. It's just sort of exhausting to have to continually tell people that, hey, like, sorry, I'm not interested in you know, dating you, you know, or your daughter kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't date women. So when I came out in the pages of Recoil, it was on the one hand, extremely encouraging that, you know, I had the support of Recoil. Um, you know, they have been a proponent of freedom and civil liberties ever since the inception of the magazine. And, you know, here they are, you know, for me at the time, I'm thinking, well, hey, like, they're kind of putting their, their, their neck out on the line here a little bit by right, having, having an article about right, this, you know, about me coming out as gay. And it was received, uh, it was received very well. I'm sure there are some people in the gun community who, you know, probably rolled their eyes a little bit. Honestly, don't care, whatever. 
but I have received a lot of support, you know, from from the gun community, from from the Second Amendment community, and uh, I was very encouraged that there really wasn't any notable negative reaction that I recall, and it was really a key signal for me to say, I think the Second Amendment community is one that has welcomed me and, and, and one that I could see myself thriving in and you know giving back to and also learning a lot from and, and building meaningful friendships and working relationships and ultimately you know doing good work for our country. And that's a, a, a tremendous focus for me. And you know, I can't thank Recoil enough, right, for giving me that opportunity back in 2013 to tell the world, you know, who I am and that I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm here, I'm here to support everybody's Second Amendment rights, irrespective of your background. And even if, even if you don't like me because I'm gay, I'm still going to be here to speak in defense of your Second Amendment right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then now fast forward 2021, they put you on the cover which it hasn't come out yet. It was more, hey, guys, pick a cover, goes on social media, and so many people freak out. Yeah, you know, when we were choosing my attire and doing the photo shoot, then this was just like two weeks ago, you know, they were at my place doing the photo shoot. You know, we're like, oh, hey, hey, you know, it was, <laughs> it was such, I guess, looking back at the conversation, I mean, we understood that, Sure, there would be some people who aren't going to like the cover and some people are going to love it. But we thought, I mean, that's sort of just how things are in general, right? With yeah. any kind of magazine cover or any kind of content that's put out there. I, I don't think either me or Recoil, well, I don't think, I, I know neither of us were expecting the kind of reaction that we saw online. And, you know, for, for listeners who haven't uh, seen the comments on Recoil social media, the way I look at it is that the controversy has brought out both the best and the worst in the gun community. And on the one hand, the detractors and the negativity has been pretty vile and abhorrent. And then there have been, I would say, some legitimate, you know, kind of grievances and concerns. And we can dive into some of those if you want to. But then on the other hand, the amount of vocal support of both me and recoil of the LGBT community and, and, and standing up, I think, for the Second Amendment community at large to say that, hey, all of these bigoted, homophobic, anti-American comments are not representative of the Second Amendment community at large. Mm -hmm. There are assholes that exist everywhere in every country, every community, but what was very enlightening is that the bigots and the assholes stepped into the light. And mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person that I like to fight out in the open. I'm very transparent. I'm going to do what I say and say what I do. And I know I'm not going to hide behind my keyboard. I'm not going to hide behind some, you know, anonymized screen name like a keyboard commando. Mm -hmm. But we saw lots of keyboard commandos right coming out and spewing hate and just but then we also saw some people with their actual names, right? Like, good for them, right? If, if you're going to spew hateful things, at least have the dignity and honor to put your name and your face on it. As much as I think it's reprehensible and I disagree with you, at least we know who is saying what and who stands 
for freedom, who stands for the right to let people be whoever and whatever they either are or whatever they choose to be, as long as it's not hurting themselves or hurting other people. That's what I've been encouraged, right, to see people in the firearms community standing up for that kind of uh, personal liberty, personal freedom, and reinforcing the message that the Second Amendment is for everyone. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And so for those listeners who haven't seen these covers, what a lot of people got mad about is you're wearing a shirt that has an American flag on it and it's rainbow colored. And how could you do that to the flag? The colors are the colors. These are also the same people that probably wear a t-shirt that has the police like matter. Within blue line. Yeah. And we've seen the flag in countless colors. So it's not just always red, white, and blue. But at that point, they didn't say anything. Other people were saying that it was basically pandering for woke culture. And also, I will say this month, because this is Gay Pride Month, that it seems like everyone's kind of jumping on the bandwagon. And in my opinion, I personally just hate holidays or anything that's commercialized because cool, it's just another way for these stores to sell more merchandise. And so even the other day, I went to PetSmart. Cool, buy some rainbow colored clothes for your dog. Okay, everyone has to jump on the bandwagon. It's kind of annoying. And it's not just with Pride Month, it's with anything. And I think if anything, it's more commercialized than it really gets the point across than people. That's just my opinion. But it really was sad to see a lot of these comments. And then I even posted something because it was just recently the anniversary of Pulse Nightclub. And some of these people that were just, well, good, I'm glad they're dead. What? At the end of the day, we're all still Americans. That was still a form of internal terrorism against American people, regardless of their sexuality race, any of that. And it was just really disgusting to read some of these comments. It's crazy to think that people actually think like this. Yeah. uh, I mean, working backwards, right, with the five-year anniversary of the Pulse shooting, which has been one of the worst domestic terrorist attacks that has happened in our country for innocent people, right? Over a hundred people were either killed or injured, you know, in this mass shooting. And to see people, like you were saying, you know, praise the terrorist, mm-hmm. right? And literally put him on a pedestal and say, I'm glad the terrorist killed all those gay people. It's disgusting. I mean, it, it, it's absolutely disgusting. I mean, and it transcends nationality, right? It just, it taps into human indecency, mm-hmm. right? That it's hard for me to wrap my head around how there are some people out there who celebrate murder, yeah, who celebrate genocide, who just celebrate people getting hurt mm-hmm. or attacked. And, you know, I think this is just one of those things as we all get older, we just, we, you know, we all wish to see the world in a certain way. And then we just sort of, right. We, we learn how the world really is. And, and I guess my attitude and approach to people like that is that the light always has to outshine the darkness, right? That's just the only way that any civilization, you know, any country, any kind of community moves forward in a positive way where people feel safe, right? Where people feel supported. And there's always going to be the haters and the detractors. That's just a fact of life. But 
the good people out there, right? We will always find each other and support each other. And we saw a lot of that also happening, right? In the whole kind of discussion, online discussions about the Pulse shooting anniversary. And then back on, uh, right, the commentary about, right, wokeism and capitalism and commercialism. I get it. I get it, right? And I think in, in the gay community, over the past 10 some years, there's been a portion of the community, which I put myself into this portion of the community that is getting a little tired about the corporatization and sort of, I think a lot of gay people feel like we're being almost like taken advantage of by some companies who just decide to throw a rainbow on it, right? Yeah. And say, oh, we support the gay community. Yeah. But it's only for June, right? And sort of like, then we don't hear from them until mm-hmm. the next, you know, June Pride Month. But exactly. to bring it back to recoil, Recoil is the farthest thing from pandering to the gay community. And back to right, our, the article back in 2013, where you know they supported me and, and the LGBT community. It's been a recurring, you know, piece of activism and support that we've seen from Recoil. So for me, what Recoil did for putting me in, a, you know, in a rainbow flag, and I'll get into a little bit more detail about the T-shirt in a second. But this is the farthest thing from pandering. Right. And, and recoil has been very consistent for many years about supporting the notion that the Second Amendment is for everyone, including the gay community, the black community, women, you name it. Like recoil puts money where their mouth is and they're supporting Second Amendment organizations that are fighting the fight in the courts and the court of public opinion. So I understand the optics, because if you haven't paid attention to that part of recoil's you know, activism, if you will, then sure, the whole wokeism may have come as a surprise to you kind of thing, but it's not for recoil. Like pandering is, yeah, again, sort of like that, that one time drop in the bucket, slap a rainbow on it, sell your stuff, and then you stay quiet for the rest of the year. And that's just not recoil. And I'm, I'm very proud of the work that they have done and that they continue to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so briefly on the t-shirt, right, that I wore, Right. So it's a black T-shirt with a vertical hanging distressed American flag that then has the rainbow colors in the backdrop. And so I chose that shirt specifically because of obviously, you know, the LGBT colors, because, yes, it's Pride Month and I'm gay, but the distressed part. Right. So it is emblematic of the internal strife right, that we have in our country right now. And it couldn't be any more evidenced literally by the controversy, right, that was caused by this cover. And ultimately, this shouldn't be a big deal. For me, the fight for civil rights, whether it's gay rights or gun rights, what it ultimately needs to end with is that everybody is treated equally, and that there is a normalization of gun ownership, a normalization of sexual orientation, and that just shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter, right, that you own a gun, or it shouldn't matter what your sexual orientation is. Neither results in people hurting each other. And it's it's obviously the opposite side of that coin is firearms are a way to defend life and liberty. And being gay and part of the LGBT community is about love and it's about human connection and right finding you know the people 
that bring you joy and happiness in your life. And that's ultimately where I want to see our country and our world get to is that next time you see a gay person on the cover of a magazine or you see a, a gun, you know, on, a, on the cover of any magazine that people should just sort of shrug their shoulders or be, oh, that's cool. That's novel. But, you know, not eliciting, you know, bigoted, you know, homophobic, you know, racist comments or anything like that. And so I'm hopeful and optimistic that, you know, the recoil cover to me is art, right? And I was actually texting the photographer who's uh, Stephen Quo about this this morning. I said, look, you know, I look at that cover as a piece of art. And, and what I mean by that is I'm a musician. And so as an artist, you know, I'm always looking to convey or explain emotions or sentiment, or really it's about telling a story, right? Artistry is telling a story or telling our history or showing a vision of where we want something to go. And if we look at that recoil cover as a form of art, yeah, it's provocative. Yeah, it tells a very strong story. And we're seeing that story play out. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm hopeful and, and optimistic that the story and the narrative and the conversations that are taking place will ultimately get us to that place of normalization and of equality and people not looking at gun owners or gay people as people to be repulsed by or scared by, and that we'll just be treated equally and normally as I believe we should. Absolutely. Are they going to publish the cover? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, the post on social media was asking people to vote for their favorite version, you know, of the cover. And they just, you know, wrapped up a whole pre-order kind of window. And uh, from what I, what I understand, the, the pre-sales are through the roof, super healthy sales and just sort of showing the interest um, and the support. And one thing to note is, if you look at Recoil's social media feeds and look at the posts on their previous magazine covers, there's more likes on this one than any other previous, you know, cover posts that they've had. <laughs> and sure, right, the, there's lots of negative comments, but there's also lots of positive comments. And I, and I think there's this silent majority online, right? It's like, I think, uh, you know, I think I saw some of those, like, I don't know, 30 some thousand, you know, likes of the magazine cover. And that's like, pretty unprecedented, you know, for recoil. And so if you look at the totality of inputs, right, the positive and the negative inputs, right, likes are positive, and you see positive words and comments, and you see negative comments, I think on the balance, the cover has been super well received. So I think it's worth calling out because I think everyone gets a little, uh, we, we might get a little too wrapped around the negative words that we see, but the number of likes, again, is, is incredibly unprecedented and encouraging to see the level of support that the cover has received. And so, yeah, they're moving into print here very shortly. And, and you know, what's funny that this is not the June edition of Recoil, even though, right, June is LGBT Pride Month. I think this is going to be either the July or August, you know, uh, issue, but they're obviously marketing it now because that's sort of how print works. So, yeah. Well, yeah. uh, Everyone will soon be seeing this edition of Recoil on their newsstands, 
you know, probably uh, either next month or in August. Nice. Fantastic. I'm going to take a quick break real quick. Talk about Caldwell. If you're getting into long range shooting, one of the things that you might want to invest in is a chronograph. Caldwell has several different models to choose from, but knowing your muzzle velocity accurately along with your environmental conditions are one of the most important things for being able to calculate your long distance holds. Starting at just $100, their ballistic precision chronograph is able to measure the speed of your bullets within 0.25%, which given the range it measures for, that's within a few feet per second, which is pretty damn accurate. It also has a cable that will let you connect to a smartphone so that you can record the data collected for all rounds that you run through the chronograph. Getting that data is crucial if you want to be able to shoot long range. You can check those out at caldwellshooting.com. Don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY10 and that gets you 10% off and that is your first order. Chris, I'm going to bring up something kind of interesting that you may or may not know. I'm sure you're aware of it, but I'm sure a lot of my listeners aren't. It was SHOT Show maybe two years ago, and I usually bring some of my gun industry friends with me. And my friend brought his friend, who's gay, and he was at the Sands Expo, and he was on the app Grinder, And it tells you within proximity who else is nearby that is also interested in a male. And I wouldn't say it's like a hookup app, but it's kind of like Tinder. It's like Tinder, but for men. It's a multi-purpose app. Yeah. and. He was showing me how many people he's like, I've never seen so many people populate on this app. Granted, all right, SHOT Show, it's majority of men. And I think they also have, when SHOT Show takes place, they also have their home improvement show. So I love it because Vegas is pretty much guns and men. Can it get any better than this? (laughs) Amazing. But he was just like, this is crazy because, and even he was saying, you don't really think that people in the firearms industry are gay. And I think that there's a lot of closeted, what would they say, homosexuals out there. And another thing that he said that kind of surprises me. So he works at some sex store thing here in Colorado. And we've had dinner with him a few times. He's hilarious and just lots of fun. But let's say we'll all go out to dinner as a group and somebody will come in. They'll walk in. They have a family, kids. And he's, oh, this is awkward. I hooked up with that guy. And clearly he's married and he has kids. And this has happened more than once. And then he said that at this sex shop thing place that he works at, there's a lot of military guys that come in. And it's weird because I guess what they're doing, it's not illegal because there's no payment or anything like that. It's just people will have orgies and it's just crazy. I got to say, from my perspective, it's kind of mind blowing because it almost seems like nowadays, even as somebody who's still dating, it kind of seems like bisexual is the new norm. There's a lot of people that will go both ways. And then I don't think that this has changed, but I think that there's a lot of men that are gay that just can't deal with coming out. So they end up getting married, they have kids, and they live their whole lives, which is actually really sad, being something that they're not. And maybe in the back, they have a secret life where they do have a boyfriend. And I also can't help but think that some of these people that are writing these negative comments that are just so hateful, like that movie American Beauty, where the neighbor, he just can't stand his neighbor because he thinks the neighbor is gay. And it turns out that he's actually gay. 
I can't help but think that that's kind of the reality of how things are going now. Yeah. So your SHOT Show story is definitely insightful and both hilarious and sad, right? Kind of at the same time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, um, so I'm a technologist at heart. So it's sort of like at a high level, like it's cool that technology is enabling people. And in this case with Grindr, right? It's it's a gay app, right? It's, It's enabling, you know, people to find other right gay people and like, you know, I, when I travel, I use Grinder to like find other gay people be like, hey, you like I'm going wherever for a drink, right? Like, you know, it's usually like gun industry events. But then obviously for people who want more than a drink, you know, it's obviously they, they can use technology for that as well. On the closeted side of things, right? Yeah, it is unfortunate, right, that some people live, either live in communities or places where they don't feel comfortable coming out. And I get it, right? It's complicated when you layer your family, your friends, your job, maybe it's your church or other right other communities that you're a part of and you're running this kind of calculation and analysis through your head asking who and where is going to either accept me and reject me? What am I willing to risk? You know, or is it just easiest if I just sort of stay in the closet and just, you know, use Grinder to hook up on the side or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I have noticed a few people at, you know, gun, you know, events like SHOT Show or NRA Show. Yeah, who will like come up to me and say, hey, yeah, you know, guess what? Like I, I'm I'm gay. I haven't told people in the industry. And and I guess for me, I equate being in the closet as gay as similar to being in the closet as a gun owner. Mm-hmm. Right. There's different situations and scenarios where we feel comfortable coming out as a gun owner, right? And then there's other times where like, yeah, you know what? Like, I am just going to keep my mouth shut yeah. about being a gun owner because, you know, as an example, you know, if I'm with some of my friends here in San Francisco and there's some mass shooting or something terrible right, that's happened with guns, and if there's people who at this, you know, at this event that all of a sudden find out I'm a gun owner, then all of a sudden I become the person to ask questions of, right? It's like, oh, you know, do you believe, you know, all Americans should own an AR-15 to kill children? You know, all, Mm -hmm. and and somehow they think that just because I'm a gun owner and sure I own AR-15s, but then somehow they make that, this connection that somehow we condone the violence. Exactly. Right. Which is that obviously, right. For anybody, right. Who owns a gun or knows gun owners, that is like the farthest leap of logic that anybody can make. But the point is, right, there are times where you know what, like, don't come out as a gun owner. So, right, just as there are times you don't need to come out as gay, like, in all scenarios. But there is obviously a big difference where one myth I I need to just dispel and and just, you know, hit the nail on the head is that being gay is not a choice. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the criticism that's, you know, levied against the gay community is that the argument generally goes something like this. You know, someone saying, you know, I'm a Christian and I have Christian beliefs. I believe homosexuality is a sin. And therefore, people who make a choice to live that kind of lifestyle are committing sins. Therefore, they're bad people. Now, the double click a little bit in on that. Okay, sure. Like acting upon, right, your sexual preferences, that is a choice. But if you're not Christian, or if you are Christian and, and don't subscribe to that part, that belief system, it's not a bad thing. It's about 
again, homosexuality is exactly the same as heterosexuality when it comes to love and attraction, right? It's sort of, I mean, sure, sex, the physical act of sex is involved, right, in both. But when straight people talk about, you know, who they love, like my mind doesn't immediately just start going to like sex, like I, and which is weird because I think that's what a lot of straight people do when they think about gay people. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think a lot of straight people, they just start, their mind immediately jumps to like the gay sex part of a relationship, which is like, it's awkward. Like that's awkward and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to even like be talking about this, you know, on a podcast. So it's like, let's be principled and have the same attitude and mentality when we talk about, right? When straight people are talking about, you know, who they're dating or who they love, like, yeah, my mind doesn't like jump to heterosexual sex. Like I just think, oh, isn't that lovely, right? That these two people, right? These two straight people have found each other and that's like great. And that's sort of just all gay people want too, is again, it's about equality. Like I don't want people to think weird things about like, I don't know, me and my husband, like sex things. It's like, no, like just, I hope you look at us as like a regular couple who we love each other, we respect each other and support each other. And it's much more about right the, the love, respect and support, right? More than it is about sex, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, that's where I think we have a, a ways to go in, you know, it's not just America, it's just really the world at large, but it writes, it's, it's conversations like this, where we just have to get more comfortable, myself included, just right, being open about talking about some topics that are uncomfortable, but are incredibly important and incredibly meaningful because it is literally about people, right? It is about us as individuals and we make up our society. And the fact that back to the kind of the main thread of closeted people, you know, hooking up at SHOT Show and maybe they're straight married, right? On the side kind of thing. It's just not the way that anybody wants to live, right? Who wants to live in the closet and who wants to betray who they really are? Who wants to hide their interests, hobbies, or passion for self-defense and freedom. I mean, right, even to say like passion of, shouldn't everyone just sort of have this inherent natural desire to protect oneself, right? It's it's not something I'm ashamed of, right? That I choose to right, own guns as a means to protect myself and my family from people who want me dead or who would literally like celebrate and dance on my dead body, right? If, you know, it's like, of course, I'm going to use a gun to defend myself and family. And I just, I want to encourage more people when it's appropriate, right, to come out as a gun owner, right, to also be out and proud if you're part of the LGBT community, or really, it's any community, right? It's about being proud to be a woman, proud to be a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, you know, there's just too much shaming and judgment that too many people throw around these days and we're nobody wins when we break each other down we have to flip that script and find ways to build each other up to support each other and speak up right for for those who either can't or won't speak up for themselves Mm -hmm. yeah 
let's say somebody who's listening has decided, all right, they want to come out. What would you recommend? What advice would you give them? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, it's, (laughs) it's sort of like asking someone like, what's the best pistol, right? Like that I should buy. It's (laughs) like, there's no single correct answer or right to, to that question. But I would say, right, the starting point is, you know, you have to come out to yourself first, right? And, and just really accept and come to terms with who you are. And I think when that happens, oftentimes you then get the confidence to be who you are, regardless of whatever may come. And so on that next part, whatever may come, it can get dicey, right? Because especially for, we'll we'll take, uh, you know, gay youth as an example. There's unfortunately too many stories of like teenagers who come out to their parents and then they get kicked out of the house. And next thing you know, they're living out on the street. They become you know, involved in the sex trade and they're getting manipulated and exploited and taken advantage of and their lives right, basically get ruined. Mm-hmm. And so coming out to your family as a teenager, it's not always a great idea. Again, it just depends. But I think thinking about who or what are your support networks, right? And identifying who are the people or networks. When I say networks, right, it could be your family, your friends, your coworkers. Maybe you're on a baseball team. Maybe you're a musician. Maybe you are a gardener, right? But whatever sort of, whatever these, maybe it's your church, right? Whatever these sort of communities or networks that you're a part of, think through the people that you know in each of those networks and ask yourself who will be most open and willing to accept me for who I am. And then you go have those conversations with those people, whether it's in person, maybe it's a text message or a video conference or whatever sort of format, maybe it's an email, whatever sort of comfortable for you, right? To come out and share this critical detail of, of who you are. And it's not easy for everybody. It's, it's easy for some people, but it's definitely hard and, and sometimes impossible for others. But I think if you feel like you're on this impossible end of the spectrum, a great place to actually come out is just do it anonymously, right? Find literally a stranger, right? I don't know, right? Go to the, go to any bar and just like come out and say something like, Hey, like, I'm gay. And I would venture to say that there's a lot of people out there who would be at least receptive to to listening. The reason why I think sometimes coming out to a random person can be helpful is because what what do you have to lose? Yeah. Right. It's like, this person isn't your friend. I mean, yeah, if if you happen to run into a bigot or a homophobe, okay, right, you might get a little bit of an earful. Yeah. But but that's also what the internet is for. Yeah. Or it could be the next bar fight, but no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And that's also the beauty of the internet and the online community. Right. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of, I think, opportunities for someone to sort of, you know, test the waters and come out in a more controlled environment where you have control, you have an ejection button, right? If you feel uncomfortable for whatever reason, right, you can either, you you close the chat room or you're right, you, you leave the bar kind of thing or, or, you know, wherever you might be. 
communities. So mm-hmm. I hope that's helpful to you know, any listeners out there that you know could use that kind of advice. Yeah, definitely. Well, I definitely think that it is something that is really hard. And I do feel bad for people that can't be themselves and have to struggle with that. And I do have someone in my family who's a lesbian. And just the way that some of my family has reacted is even disgusting. Her dad, for example, was what a disgrace. Ugh, just embarrassing. And really, that's your daughter. And it's just crazy that people will say stuff like that and just react like that when that's your child. I remember my mom always saying that she'd say, oh, I love you so much. And it's weird looking back. Cool, mom, you sound like a freak. But I remember her saying, even if you killed somebody, I would still love you. I'd still come and visit you in jail. I would still always be there for you. And looking back, what the hell was my mom getting at? <laughs> but right, it was, right. <laughs> cool, mom. Awesome. All right. Noted. But yeah. I think it was just her way of saying just how much she loves me unconditionally. And I just feel like that's just how any parent should be. But I guess what's Agreed. not. And, and so. Yeah, right. We take it for granted sometimes, right? Yeah. That, you know, my parents are very similar, right? They would, you know, be there for me to, you know, sort of the, the very end, you know, kind of thing, whatever, you know, whatever that may mean. Yeah. But you know, one other, actually, one other thought I had for anybody who, you know, is having trouble coming out, you know, there's plenty of LGBT organizations, you know, at the national, state, and local level where, you know, you can email in, you can call in, you know, anonymously, if you just literally just need someone to talk to, you know, I know the, the Trevor program uh, in particular is uh, one that's focused on, uh, on suicide prevention. So, you know, obviously for anyone who's ever, you know, contemplating suicide, you know, don't do it. You've got the Trevor organization, you know, the national suicide hotline. There's lots, there's just lots of people out there who care for, you know, for all of us. And so, yeah, anybody who, though, who, who, yeah, uh, wants to talk, sort of come out anonymously back to that sort of idea, all of these LGBT you know, organizations, someone at the organization would, would be more than, I think, happy to, to, you know, jump on a phone call or converse with you over email or, or whatever sort of venue is most comfortable. Definitely. Okay. So wrapping it up, do you have any future plans that you can share with us? Yeah, you know, so I think one of the big things I've got cooking that I'm really excited about is, you know, sometimes, you know, the best things can come out of you know, challenging times. And so back to the Asian American community, you know, for the past 10 years that I've been involved in firearms advocacy, I've always kind of wondered, why isn't there a gun group or association of sorts focused on reaching out and connecting Asian American gun owners. And so I'm really excited to say that it's happening. So I'm an official advisor to a brand new group called the Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association, APAGOA. And there's a website, APAGOA.org. And it's brand new. There's about 400 members already in the short amount of time that the organization's been stood up. And the leadership team is great. You know, I'm advising for them and helping them tee this up. And so anybody who's interested in supporting the cause, you do not need to be Asian to be a part of APA GOA. It's a big tent organization that's non-political. It's really focused on three main tenets, safety, education, and community. And 
APHGOA wants to welcome the millions of new gun owners, right? We saw an estimated 8 million new gun owners in 2020, and we're on track right now to possibly beat that in 2021. And with the increase in you know, racist attacks against Asian Americans, we've got all sorts of Asian Americans who are wanting to purchase a firearm or at minimum trying to find out how do they even like go shoot, right? It's like, can you rent a gun? If you have a friend who owns a gun, you know, can you go to them with a range, right? And how does that work? Right? These like bread and butter questions that current gun owners we take for granted, right? There's just millions of gun owners who are starting at that square one. Like I was there, you know, one, you know, back in the day, and obviously you were there one day too, right? You just didn't know anything about guns. And so APA GOA wants to help Asians get involved in the shooting sports, whether it's renting guns or purchasing your own guns or shooting your friend's guns, but ultimately getting some good trigger time enjoying time at the range, meeting new friends, and really understanding that the shooting community is a true community that is diverse. That's a lot of fun. We're obviously also uh, you know, very serious about protecting our Second Amendment rights as well. Awesome. Okay. And then if anybody wants to follow you on social media, where can they do that? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, at my handle, Top Shot Chris. And then I've also got my website, topshotchris.com. Okay, cool. Well, I'm definitely bummed that Chris had to leave the show. I definitely had a lot more to ask him, but I'm really glad that he was able to make the time to join me. Moving forward with the rest of the show, I have John Snow with me. John, hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. That's not what I want to hear. You are on the Gun Funny show. Well, it's great because that, but. Other than that, it's just a normal, regular just day. Just a normal day, yeah. Yeah, well, we got to change that up a little bit. You know what you need? You probably need an IWI gun. I do. Yeah, in fact, Absolutely. you know what you probably do? I've talked before about the legendary Galil, which is a blend of the AK-47 and the Volmont RK-62, which IWI continued to refine over the years with the Galil Ace. They've recently come out with the second generation of the Ace, which improves it even more. Have you had a chance to look at this? I have. I, a few months ago, got the 545 Galil, which I really love. And I'm definitely eyeing one of these new ones. They're really cool because... Just like the previous version of the Ace, they've got the side charging handle. So mm -hmm. you don't have to go over the top like a normal AK. Yeah. So they're really nice that way. They have a really cool dust cover that basically pivots around the charging handle. So you don't ever have to worry about closing it. It's self-closing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. No kidding. But one of the cool things that they did with the second gen is... The first gen had pieces of plastic that a lot of people would take off and change out to a different handguard. Well, they've done that for you. So it's got the free-throated M-Lock end and new trigger profile and basically just took all the things that people were doing to them aftermarket and did it to them from the beginning. So, oh, nice. That's cool. And wow. then as always, it's ambidextrous and yep. compatible with the standard AK mags. 
And that's always nice too, because I always want to buy extra magazines when I get a gun and then it's just an added cost. So if you already have those, who doesn't have AK mags laying around, you could use that. They come with the Magpul CTRs if they're a rifle or the SBA-3 if it's a pistol. You can check those out at IWI.us. And don't forget, while you're there, if you find anything in their web store, swag, magazines, other accessories, use the code GUNFUNNY15 and that gets you 15% off. And that is at IWI.us. Now it's time to talk politics. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. Democrats file mandatory handgun licensing and registration bill. A group of Democrats in Congress this month filed legislation for the most restrictive standard of ownership for even basic handguns. The Handgun Licensing and Registration Act of 2021 would require any handgun owner to be at least 21 years of age and require a mandatory license. In order to get the license for a pistol, including revolvers, you would first have to complete approved firearms training and clear a background check after submitting fingerprints and photographs. Licenses would have to be renewed every five years. Bonnie Watson Coleman, a New Jersey Democrat who sponsored the bill, she said that our government requires registration and basic standards for voting, operating a vehicle, even opening a business. Yet for weapons created with the single intent to take a life, we have developed a dangerous aversion to any mechanism to understand where and with whom these weapons reside. Yeah, okay, that's great. In addition to the mandatory licensing, the bill would direct the U.S. Attorney General to establish a system for the registration of all handguns owned, possessed, or controlled in the United States. Penalties for non-compliance would include fines and imprisonment. While blatantly unconstitutional, implementing this would be extremely difficult simply because of how many handguns are in American homes. Just in 2009, federal regulators estimated that there were at least 114 million handguns in circulation among consumers in the U.S., and numbers have increased in record numbers since then. In 2019 alone, 3.6 million pistols were produced, not counting imports or obviously homemade guns. Watson Coldman's bill has been filed as H.R. 3740 and has seven co-sponsors who happen to all be Democrats. It has been referred to the House Committee on the Judiciary. Similar measures that have been filed earlier this year include U.S. Rep. Sheila Jackson Lee's H.R. 127, U.S. Senator Chris Van Hollen's S-770. Such a bill could easily pass the Democratic-controlled House but will be a close call in the Senate. A party-line vote in the Senate could easily pass a bill like this with Harris casting the tie-breaking vote. It's just crazy over the years, not even over the years, over the months, just the amount of bills that they're trying to push and that they think that this is okay. And clearly this is registration, and registration ultimately will lead to confiscation. Yeah, that's exactly their goal, and they're not even trying to hide it anymore. We are just on the razor edge with the Senate, a vote like this, Senator Manchin would vote for it and Harris would be the tie-breaking vote. So unless there's one Democrat in a state that has more people who are into firearms that changes his mind, this one could easily get through. Mm -hmm. These are very troubling. Yeah. Because it's exactly that. It's going directly toward registration with the intent of confiscation. Mm -hmm. And 
also kind of what sucks is they're basically putting this together to make it look like, oh, well, this is going to save lives. This is going to be for the well-being of the general public. When I used to even think that when I lived in New York City, yeah, there should be registration. If you have to get a driver's license, you obviously have to take a test. And it's weird because over the years now, even if it kind of seems like it might make sense on the outside and well, okay, I mean, nothing's wrong with that. Training's good or having a license, but it's just gotten to the point where honestly, any type of gun control, there's always all these hidden agendas and I'm not for it whatsoever. Yeah. Always hidden agendas, always hidden money going to special interest groups. Yeah. Definitely. Manicore arms. If you guys have a Tavorsar or X95 and ever shoot it suppressed, you have to get the gasketed port cover for the Tavors from Manicore arms. It's absolutely essential to keep gas from being blown in your face, which nobody likes the gas blown in your face. Since the bullpup design has the breech so close to your face, the design's super rugged and really easy to install. Two aluminum panels compress the rugged rubber seal between them to ensure a perfect seal with no gaps. You can install it on either the right or the left side, depending on how you have your Tavor configured to ensure that you never get gas in your face. And the outer panel also includes a QD swivel mount. The gasketed port cover is only $47.95. And obviously it's an essential upgrade, but remember you're not going to pay full price because you'll use the code AvaRocks15 and that is going to get you 15% off. Now it's time for Q&A. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's question. What do I need to do to make sure my comments on the ATF's proposed rules count? Their site allows you to submit anonymously, but I've heard that's not the case. How do I make sure my comment gets counted? This is actually a really, really good question because I was thinking if I wasn't in the gun industry and I wasn't constantly reading up on this, I don't think that I would even know how to properly comment. And they've made it such a way that they're doing whatever they possibly can to make people's comments not counted. There's like yeah, a few it's really things. deceptive how they have it laid out. They, yeah. they make it so it looks like, okay, you can comment anonymously. It'll still count. No, they just throw them straight out. Yeah, It'll let you comment with your name, but not include your contact information. And again, they'll throw it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so- One of the things that drives me crazy is all the places that are doing form letters. GOA, they're doing a form letter. That's great that it's given people a convenient way to show how to comment, but they need to absolutely state, you have to make it different or it's really not going to count because if it goes in as a form letter, it's the same exact thing as everybody else. It's only going to get counted and responded to once. Yeah, exactly. And one, before we go into certain things that you want to avoid, I made a comment guide that explains exactly what you should and shouldn't do. You can find this at gunfunny.com under news, and it's right there. And you have to submit two separate forms for the lowers and the braces. But if you don't decide to do that or you forget, a few things to remember. Don't use any profanity. They won't count if you do. Obviously, don't use the form letter. Do not make any threats or derogatory comments. Keep it professional. Don't talk about Waco or anything like that. 
Do not mix up comments about braces and firearm definitions. Things that you want to do include a reference to the docket number at the top of your comment. Include your name and contact info. Even if they say that you can do this anonymously, it won't count. Keep it polite. Use spell check. Don't ramble. Talk about how it will negatively affect you, the industry, and others. Talk about how it will create criminals where there are none. And then also, if you guys do want to refer back to that guide that I made, not only can you find it at gunfunny.com, but also in the show notes. And I would highly recommend reading it before you go and comment. And then there's direct links to where to go. John, do you want to add anything else? Yeah, those are great points to follow. We just need everybody to comment on these. because. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I think no matter how many comments we have, and we've seen a good number of comments coming in in the last week, which is awesome. But I personally think no matter how many we get, it's going to get pushed through anyway, because this administration does not care about our rights. But the more comments we have on this on record, when we go to fight it in court, the better off we're going to be. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I don't think it's going to make a difference. I think yeah, sure. I'm, they I'm have, hopeful, but yeah. <laughs> I think they definitely have their agenda, but I definitely think that every comment is definitely needed from everybody. And absolutely. And also, if you're thinking that's basically like registration, why would I put my info on there? And it's not going to make they a difference. Yeah. If you're so worried, you probably shouldn't even own a gun because trust me, the government knows way more about you than you want them to. Just put your freaking name and your information on there. Stop being paranoid and take a stand and grow some balls. There you go, yep. I said it. All right, primary arms. Primary arms has a ton of stuff on sale right now. Actually, I was just on their website. They have Anderson lowers for $40, which I would say is pre-2020 prices. That's pre-pandemic prices, right? Yeah, there. exactly. $40 for a lower. Let's see. I'm trying to think what else do they have on sale? They have AR parts, magazines, bags, you name it. 35 round Scorpion P mags for just $16. They also have a ton of different forends, lots of different mags, Trigicon, RMRs for $160 off, which is great. Sights, guns, optic mounts. Actually, I saw ARs on there for under $500, which is also pre-pandemic prices. I would definitely say they're kind of the go-to place right now to get a good deal. If you guys find anything you like, especially if it's a primary arms optic, don't forget to use the code AVA, A-V-A. That's going to get you a free mount with every primary arms optic. And in addition, there's a link in the show notes. If you click on that and go shopping, it's an affiliate link. I will get a small portion of the proceeds and I would greatly appreciate that as well. All right, time to talk about what's new. Tactic Talk, discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Rock Island introduces a new pistol. Rock Island Armory announced a new pistol this week. It's the STK-100. It's a striker fire pistol in 9mm that at first glance is pretty similar to the other modern polymer striker fire pistols on the market, but it's got one key difference. While it maintains the competitive price of a polymer pistol, it has an aluminum frame. With the extra weight in the frame, it should reduce felt recoil a good bit. 
The frame includes a grip angle more like a 1911, which I know a lot of people prefer, and nice looking lines and grip texture. Though it's hard to know how it feels and if it will be grippy like a similar texture on a polymer frame. Obviously, I haven't got my hands on one. Either way, controls on it are very similar to other striker fire guns. They state it's compatible with a lot of aftermarket parts that uses Glock magazines. And from the appearance of it, I'm pretty sure that it's compatible with other Glock parts as well. It has a Picatinny rail, slide serrations at the front, as well as the slide cuts to reduce weight and enhanced looks. It comes optic ready. However, I think they kind of blew it on this one. Like the P365XL, they integrated the rear sights with the optic plate so you lose your irons when you put a red dot on it, which I always liked to have both just in case. I don't know, I guess it's a matter of preference. It comes with 17 round magazines, a 4.5 inch barrel, and MSRP on this baby is $599, which is pretty good. Overall, it looks pretty nice and I'd be interested in trying one out. Yeah, if you guys want, again, there's a link in the show notes to check it out. And yeah, I think this is actually their first striker fire pistol that they've come out with, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. They traditionally make 1911s and 2011s and stuff like that. It actually looks pretty good. It definitely looks like a Glock clone. Mm -hmm. Which I got to say, I'm a little tired of. All right, can people get a little more creative? It is nice that it's compatible with a lot of Glock parts and stuff like that, but I just feel it's like it's nice if you want to build something because there's so many options for parts. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, they are a little bit boring at this point compared yeah. to some of the other guns that are out there. Yeah. I just feel like it's gonna... nice with the aluminum frame, though. That is true. Yeah. And that's definitely different. And aluminum frame, especially if you're going to use it for competitions or home defense or something like that, or even just range gun, that is definitely appreciative. And I think that's what they're aiming for with this is for it to be an entry-level range gun for people who want to get into competitions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Tech Matt. I don't know why I always want to say something else. Tech Matt isn't really that hard to say, but I always hesitate before I say it. Tech Matt is a company not everyone will be familiar with by name. But again, just like a lot of these GSM products, it's one of those things that I guarantee everybody has one in their house, yet you don't really know the company behind it. As the name suggests, what they specialize in is cool-looking gun mats that you'll see on counters in stores. The ones that you might be familiar with are the ones that they have the 3D outline of the guns with all the parts taken off the gun so you can kind of get a pretty good overview of all the parts that are included in that one gun. They have it for pistols, rifles. They're great if you want to work on your guns and not get oil and dirt all over. I definitely, being a clean freak, I use them, especially when I'm cleaning my guns. They've got some really cool designs. The ones that I have on my desk right now is the Don't Tread On Me And then I also have just the regular solid gray, which I think is nice and I'm using as a background to take pictures, but they have some pretty funny ones. I would definitely recommend checking them out. They have some Second Amendment mats. In addition to that, they also have door mats, which I had no idea, but they're pretty funny, especially where it has this home is protected by the Second Amendment, which some might say, cool, it's a giveaway as to you have guns in your house, but it also might be a deterrent and kind of funny. 
Their mats are pretty affordable. Pistol mats are only $18.99. Rifle mats are about $25. Door mats are $40. But remember, if you use the code GUNFUNNY20, you will get 20% off any of these mats. Definitely check them out. The website for that is techmat.com, and that is T-E-K-M-A-T. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. In today's AF segment, proof the future is here. If you need a manicure, there's a robot for that. The company Clockwork has created a completely autonomous robot for manicures. According to Clockwork, the average woman spends 3,120 minutes a year on nails. Wow. 3,120 minutes a year on nails. Some of us maybe spend a little more than that. And I think it depends. I know there's sometimes where I'll go weeks without having nail polish on my nails. Oh, I have man hands. And then there's other times where I used to actually, it's funny because when I lived in New York City, and probably most of middle school and high school, you would never see me without nail polish on my fingers. But life happens. I'm super busy. And there's just sometimes, or if you know that you're going to be working on guns or the range, why am I going to bother getting a manicure when I know it's just going to go to crap? Yeah, there's weeks now that I won't have my nails done. Not to say that I enjoy seeing my hands like that, but it just comes with the territory at times. But that's a lot, a lot of time to spend on nails and think about the cost because it depends where you are. One thing I do miss about New York City is you could get a mani and a pedi, I'm not even kidding, for $20 to $25, which is insane. And then here in Colorado, it's about 60, which sucks. It's crazy, the price difference. And you would always think, well, New York City is a lot more expensive, so you think it'd be the opposite, but it's not. And I think maybe because on every corner, there's a nail salon, so maybe it's just more competitively priced. I really don't know what drives those numbers, but Probably gone up since you've been there, though. You know, I don't know, because for as long as I can remember, because that was the one thing when my mom and I would visit New York. Yeah, we're going to get those $20 mani petties. And then when I was a young adult, I lived there and it was still $20. Yeah, it'd be interesting because figure it's been 10 years now, almost. It's been nine years since I lived there. So it'd be interesting to see. But still, I got to believe, okay, at most, maybe it goes up an extra $5. Either way. They now have a robot to give you manicures. And I got to say, I would almost prefer this. I hate to see robots taking over people's jobs, but here's the reality of things. I think after 2020, how many places do you know right now that are hiring that cannot find people to work? It's ridiculous. And it's so frustrating. I personally, I've been looking for a videographer and it's not like I'm not paying them. It's not, well, it's minimum wage. Sorry. I think I'm paying them, offering a pretty decent amount. On top of that, I'm also looking for a part-time handyman because I don't have a boyfriend for that. And I am tired of watching YouTube videos and spending time on trying to figure it out. So I'll just hire somebody. And I can't fill those positions to save my life. Yeah, it's crazy how many people don't want to work anymore. And can you blame them when right now unemployment is about $900 a week, which is a lot more than most people would make? And people have gotten kind of cocky about it. A lot of people are like, why would I go back to work when minimum wage sucks? But here's the thing. This is what annoys me so bad is minimum wage is meant to be entry level. It's for people that are in high school or college that you don't have experience. You need to gain work experience. If you can't pay your bills, get a second job. I know when I was in New York City, I bartended until 4 or 5 a.m., 
And then I'd go and work for the New York Yankees. And this was before I became full-time. But even then, full-time at the New York Yankees, they only paid 35000 a year in New York City. It was one of those things where I knew having the job at the New York Yankees, that was something I'd put on my resume that's going to help me get a better paying job in the future. But then I knew that obviously bartending was giving me the funds that I needed in order to make a living and survive, but it wasn't something that I was going to make a career out of. And that's what people don't understand is you need to gain experience. If you can't pay your bills, get a second job that might pay a little bit better. But either way, you're getting that experience so that you can get a better job in the future. Yeah, exactly. People have really done a disservice to young people today basically telling them that they're entitled to everything and that they shouldn't have to gain experience to get a wage that will pay them to live. Yeah, I agree. And in addition to that, I've noticed, and not to say that all younger kids right now are lazy jerks, because they're not. There's some kids that are just doing amazing things. And man, if I was their parents, I'd be super proud. But majority of 20-year-olds that I know, they still live with their parents. Whereas me, I couldn't wait to move out. The minute I turned 18, I left, went to school in New York City. I don't even know if I was 18 yet, actually, when I moved. When I turned 16, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. Most kids now are living with their parents for as long as they can. And I know 30-year-olds that are still living with their parents. Most of them don't even want to get their driver's license. They have no problem having their parents drive them around, which is, to me, it's embarrassing. I don't know. It's really hard for me to even comprehend that. Hey, mom. I want to go to the mall with my friends. Can you drive me to the mall? And you're 18 years old. I don't know. It's just weird. It's so weird. The truth is, is they just don't want a lot of responsibility anymore. Yep. And then people get mad that there's robots taking over people's jobs. But I also have been going to a lot of restaurants where they can only seat so many people, not because of COVID, but because they don't have the staff to wait on all those tables. They're limited on the staff. What do you guys expect? Anyways, moral of the story, people are lazy, robots are taking over, and now you can get a manicure for $7.99. And on top of that, you don't even have to listen to, not to say I'm racist, this is not an Asian hate joke, but how many times do you go into a salon and it's all Asians and they're talking? And I have no idea what they're saying, but I guarantee you right now they're, ew, this lady's feet are disgusting. It's just one of those things where, yeah, if we could avoid that, that'd be cool. Yeah, I wonder right now, I think it's only available in bigger cities, but I think it's probably just a matter of time before it comes to the smaller cities. Yeah, we're going to see a lot more things like this turned into robots in the coming years. I also hate to say this, but I almost think that they might even do a better job because I personally, I don't really go to the salon that often. One, because a lot of times I don't have the time, but two, if I do, all right, I'm just going to do my nails. It's late at night when I finally have the time and I don't have a million things to do, but I'm very artistic and I'm pretty good at a lot of things. And so I just got everything that the salon had. I have salon grade nail polish, the gel light initial setup was probably about $500, but totally worth it. It pretty much paid for itself after a few manicures. And I like it because. I'm such a perfectionist that I think I do a better job than the salons because I would hate if they'd miss a little spot or if it was kind of uneven or they wouldn't get close to my cuticles. And then it would just bug me nonstop until I got my next manicure. I would almost think that maybe the robot would be a little bit more consistent. I don't know. Very likely. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see a lot more robots for things like this because like you said, people are not wanting to go back to work. Yeah. 
And then on top of that, and this is kind of getting off topic, but our congressman here in Colorado, he put out a letter where he was urging the governor to not pay an additional $300 a week because everyone was having a hard time hiring people. And there were so many comments, you're a jerk, can't wait to vote you out of office. And people were so mad about it. And I commented, thank you. And then somebody was, okay, Karen. And I was like, oh, wow, you got me there. You got me, called me a Karen because I said, thank you. Because I would like the congressman to know, it's Congressman Doug Lamborn. I'd like him to know that I appreciate what he's doing, that he understands the reality of things. That's just it. Too many people aren't living in reality. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's just keep the government. The government wants you to rely on them. Yep. Yeah, it's just, oh, don't get me started. Anyways, something that's not going to... Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. All right. Something that's not going to get my blood boiling. iTunes reviews. First review is Durf the Tactical A-Hole. You make Mondays so much easier. Five stars. Great show. U.S. Law Shield. I've been a member ever since I got my concealed carry and now I know more. Nice interview. Keep up the good work and the good content. You make my Monday worth it because I will be listening to your show on the way home from work. 50 Cal CCW. (laughs) Oh, Vaughn. (laughs) Second review is Dan Burns iTunes review. I'm too old school and can't figure out the review podcast stuff. So I'll leave it here. Oh, this one actually came via email. Love it, but hate it. Five stars. I love all the info on the new products that are out there and love all the information that is being discussed about the fun world, both legal and industry. So what do I hate about the show? Well, I'm buying better gear, which is now easier to find thanks to your show and better bargains too. P.S. My four cats can take on tickles any day of the week and win. Okay, first of all, I just want to say you had me. Oh, this is a really nice review. But that last sentence, uh, no, I'm a little. <laughs> this guy is a cat man. That's what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, Tickles can take the cats. Yeah, I think so. Well, okay. First of all, there's a few things to think about. Are the cats declawed? Because she if they're not, that. I don't know. It's debatable because my four days of owning a cat, those cats are so mean. And I was like, it's so cute. It's a little baby butterball. It's a little fluff. Felt like I was cuddling with cotton candy, but with these horrible, vicious nails. I honestly, I haven't seen my cat. Well, my cat's now my cousin's cat. She took the cat. I haven't seen this cat now in two weeks. I still have scratch marks from this freaking cat. (laughs) Yeah, cats are vicious. (laughs) All right, John, I'm going to have you pick who the winner should be just because Chris isn't with us. Oh... I think we'll go with Dan, even though he's totally wrong about the cats. Yeah. You know, I got to say, hey, I got to give it to him. Even though he couldn't figure out iTunes review, he still took the time to send in a review. And either way, I appreciate it. I appreciate that people actually listen to me talk because sometimes it feels like nobody listens. (laughs) And I'm here solo. All right. Wrapping up, guys, you can find me at gunfunny.com. There's links to everything. There's affiliate links. Just go to gunfunny.com, click on affiliates. And if you're going shopping at Palmetto State Armory, Primary Arms, Brownells, any of that, and you click on that, everything that's in your cart when you buy it, I'll get a small percentage of the sales, which I greatly appreciate. You can also think about considering becoming a Patreon. Next week is episode 200. And what I'm doing is I'm just going to have any of the patrons who'd like to join, I'm going to have them on the show. Patreon is just really awesome. It's just like a nice community. 
I don't know. It's weird because some of them I've never met, but yet I feel like I know everyone in that group really well. So if you want to talk to like-minded people who have a sixth sense of humor like the rest of us, I would highly recommend become a Patreon. Any level gets you access to our Patreon-only Facebook page. And then you also get the chance to win a $300 gift certificate to Blown Deadline, which we pick a lucky winner every month. If you want to become a Patreon, just go to gunfunny.com and click on the support the show link. Also, $5 and up Patreons get a Patreon-only patch. After three months, it'll never be for sale. So if you have this patch, you know that you're in that little click where you once or are a patron of at least three months or more. I want to thank the $25 patrons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Joshua Hamp, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore, and Melissa Writings. King of the Patreon, Jon Snow. He wants me to say Operator Tickles isn't afraid of cats. She spanks cats by the pack just to work up an appetite for breakfast. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty appropriate considering that review. I'm assuming that's why you put that. (laughs) All right. Well, Chris, you're not here, but thank you so much for your time. Thanks for everything that you do, especially within the 2A community. John, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show and to have your commentary. And guys, I look forward to next week when we reach 200 episodes. I will see you guys next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.